Almighty Father, provider and creator, sustainer, and our eternal supply. You are good and wise and perfect in all that you provide and in all that you withhold. It is our privilege, our great advantage this morning to live in daily provision from your hand. We're, we are unable, Father, to sustain ourselves. We are too often self-sufficient. When we can't care for ourselves or those around us, we confess that we are unable. We confess, Father, this morning our emptiness, our inadequacy, our deficiency. You alone, Lord Jesus, you alone are the bread of life in whom we are filled and in whom we find our final satisfaction. All other cravings will leave us wanting and poor and destitute. Lord Jesus, would you, I pray, cause faith and repentance to come upon us this morning. Repentance for our grumbling and complaining hearts and our barren attempts to self-sufficiency. And grant us faith, I pray, Father, that we may trust in Christ, who is our bread of life, and who will satisfy our hungry souls. I pray that you will do this in that most precious and blessed name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Do you have any idea what the Lord is doing in your life? If you're honest, you'd say your plans, your idea of what you would think the Lord needs to be doing in your life is far different than where the Lord has you and what the Lord is doing in your life. Why is it so hard? Why is it so wandering? Why does it feel as if it's you're somewhere way out where you're not supposed to be, and yet this is where the Lord has you? What's the Lord doing with us as a congregation? I have to confess as a pastor, I have no idea. I wish I did. On occasion, I feel I may have some idea, and then other times I wonder. What is it that the Lord is doing in each of your lives? How is the Lord working that out? What, what is this odd providence that's taking place in, in, our, in my life and in our lives? What's happening as a, with us as a congregation? I have no idea. And I have to confess and admit, and you need to as well, that's exactly where God's people often are. That's exactly where God's people are in Exodus chapter 16. And I dare say that if you look in every page of your Bible, God's people, if you're reading the pages and you're thinking about their own hearts and what's going on in their lives, the people of God in any particular portion of our Bible, I'm I'm convinced that you would look and you would say, you know what, they are probably asking the very same question I am asking, and that is this, Lord, what in the world are you doing? It It is definitely not the plan that I had. It's definitely not the aim or the agenda that I'd laid out before me. And yet the Lord has his people this morning setting out from Elam, chapter 16, verse 1. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, leaving this place of comfort, 
this place where it says in verse uh, 27 of chapter 15, they came to this place called Elam that had 12 springs of water. They were drinking deeply of this refreshing water that they did not have earlier in the chapter 15. And they were sitting in, these, in the midst of these, uh, the, the shade of these 70 palm trees. They were encamped there enjoying the blessings of the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if the Lord would just let us sit there? Stay there in that place where we enjoy it and everything's great. But no, the Lord has something else He's wanting to do with His people. He's sending them to the promised land. Elam was not the end. And so in chapter 16, verse 1, it says they had to set out from Elam. And where do they head? Into a wilderness. <laughs> what in the world is the Lord doing with His people? What in the Lord world is the Lord doing with us? As He gives us times of respite, enjoyment comfort we get a drink deeply of his of his wonderful blessings and then out we go again to a wilderness wandering wondering what the lord may be doing the lord is doing more brothers and sisters in our lives and in the lives of his people here than just simply trying to deliver us or save us he's trying to reveal himself to us so that we may trust him and so that we may walk in his ways exodus 5 2 who is the Lord that we should obey His voice? That's the theme. That's the thing that the Lord is doing. He's revealing Himself to us. He's showing us who this Lord is. And that is that He is, he is, he is one that is faithful and true. And He will care for His people. And He's showing them that He has authority to give them commands and that they are to walk in these commands. So this morning, as we see God's people launching out from Elam, this place of comfort and respite, now they're going into a place of wilderness. Don't let this word sin um, confuse you with the English word sin that we have. This is actually probably just a, an area or a region that is within the area or the larger area or region of, of Sinai. It may even be an abbreviation of Sinai, but it's a smaller section in the larger region of Sinai here. And uh, they're going into this wilderness of sin and heading out into this area. Let's look at our passage this morning, verses 1 through 21. I'd like for us to see this in three sections. Notice it in three sections. Maybe it'll help us as we look through and work through this large portion of text. Break it up into four sections. First is verses 1 through 3, uh, the people's grumbling. I want us to notice the people's grumbling in verses 1 through 3. Verses 4 through 5. I want us to notice the Lord's testing. First point, the people's grumbling. The second point, the Lord's testing, verses 4 through 5. And then third, the Lord's appearing, verses 6 through 12. The Lord's appearing, the people's grumbling, the Lord's testing, and the Lord's appearing. This is verses 6 through 12, the Lord's appearing. And then finally, I want us to notice the people's gathering. The people's gathering. This is in verses 13 through 21. 13 through 21, the people's gathering. All right? The people's grumbling, the Lord's testing, the Lord's appearing, and the people's gathering. All right? Let's notice with me, if you will, in verses 1 through 3. First and foremost, the people's grumbling. As we notice our text together, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin which is between Elam and Sinai. 
Elam, the place of comfort and respite, and Sinai, which is, as we know, and, and as God's people who would have heard this over and over again would have known, Sinai is the place where God would give, him their, give them his law to guide them and to direct them. So they are in between this place of respite and this place where the Lord is going to show his authority and give them his law. They have not yet arrived there in Sinai. They're en route, and they're in this wilderness of sin. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, uh, that's basically a month away. They're about a month out from having been delivered from the Egyptians, having left that land, having seen the Red Sea part, having seen all these amazing miracles of the plagues. They're a month away from Egypt. And it says in verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, not one or two, but what it seems like here is that after this month there's been this rumbling all along the way. And now it has permeated the entire congregation, and it says here that the whole congregation of the people of Israel, what are they doing? They're grumbling. They're grumbling, it says. Now this is not the first time we've seen them grumble. In fact, what we've noticed is that this is a pattern. Back in Exodus chapter 5, verse 20, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh, hey, we're getting ready to leave and exit the land and the Lord has told us to do this. And Pharaoh, what does he do? He says, more, strict, more bricks, less straw, right? And then what do God's people do in, 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 that, in that scenario? Well, they blame Moses and Aaron. It says, they, the people, met Moses and Aaron, chapter 5, verse 20, who were waiting for them. As they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, Moses and Aaron, The Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh, his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They were grumbling. They were not happy with what the Lord had been doing in their lives, and Moses and Aaron were the culprit. They were the ones that were being accused. Later at the Red Sea, if you remember, they were at the Red Sea, and the Egyptian soldiers were pressing in on them. They were standing at the foot of the Red Sea. And it says in Exodus chapter 14, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? That will just bless you when you're trying to serve the Lord and do what he wants you to do. For the people that are all around you saying, You know what? It's obvious that you want us to die, and you want us to die an excruciating death, and you're doing a great job of it. That's kind of their words there. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Exodus 14, 11. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're grumbling. Last week, we noticed at the end of chapter 15... They were grumbling because of lack of water. The people grumbled, chapter 15, verse 24. The people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What we find is that the people were marked by grumbling. They basically had pretty much 40 years of it, and we find that throughout the book of Exodus. My point I want you to notice is that as they were grumbling here, that they were grumbling specifically, it says in verse 2, chapter 16, against Moses and Aaron. Where? In this wilderness that they were in. And they go on and they exaggerate. In our grumbling, too often we begin exaggerating how good it was in the past. When, you know what, back when we were in the past, when, when the people were back in Egypt that they're reminiscing about, you know what they were doing back then? Grumbling. <laughs> And so the, the reminiscing that you have of all the wonderful things that took place in the past and how bad your life stinks right now, you know, what, you know what you were doing back then? 
you were grumbling? It says here in verse 3, it says, The people of Israel said to them, Aaron and Moses, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Oh, when we, when we sat by the meat pots and the bread to the full. Notice that, that, that passage there. Bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're reminiscing, exaggerating of how good it was. When? When they were in slavery. They were in slavery. It's very unlikely that they had day in and day out meat pots and bread to the full. They were slaves. And yet they're exaggerating, reminiscing about the good old days of how wonderful it was. And they're complaining. My point here this morning that I want you to notice as we notice verses 1 through 3 is that the people's grumbling had less to do with their environment and their circumstances than it did with their heart. Because did you notice, they were in all kinds of various circumstances and environments and situations in their lives, and yet in every one of them, what was the common denominator? Their hearts were grumbling. We too often point to the environment, the situation, the circumstances that are around us, and we justify ourselves in our complaining. We reminisce about how good it was and how bad it is now. And we begin thinking and, and believing in our own hearts that the reason things are so bad and awful is because of all the people and all the things and all the circumstances that are around us. And brothers and sisters, our grumbling has more to do with our heart than with our environment. It has more to do with what's on the inside of us than what's, on, what's around us. Our grumbling has more to do with our expectations than it does with our circumstances. Doesn't it? You know it's true. It's exactly true. Brothers and sisters, God's people here were grumbling. And they were grumbling because they had nothing to eat. But yesterday, chapter 15, they were grumbling because they didn't have water. And they were grumbling because they had too much water by the Red Sea. They needed to get across it. Then they were grumbling because they had too much work or too little work. We're grumbling people. Just give us an opportunity and today we'll find something else to grumble about. Why? Because it has nothing to do with our circumstances. And brothers and sisters, it has nothing to do with our environment or our situation. It has everything to do with our heart. God calls this grumbling sin. As I said last week, a complaining and grumbling and murmuring heart. Yes, it is unprofitable. Yes, it is useless. But it's more than that. It is sinful. It is sinful. It is, it is, it is abhorrent because it is, it is denying that God is in charge of your lives. And brothers and sisters, it is a heart issue. Try to remove all the bad things that are causing you to grumble. You'll find that you'll still grumble. Because the issue isn't the things around you. It's your heart. Second thing I want you to notice is not only the people's grumbling, verses 1 through 3, but verses 4 and 5, the Lord's testing. The Lord decided to test his people in the midst of this wilderness experience. And specifically here with this bread, that they were this, this lack that they had, nothing to eat. It says in verse 4 and 5, Then the Lord, after this grumbling, this complaining, this exaggerating of how good it was in Egypt... Verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. So the Lord in His grace and mercy says, I'm going to, he tells, The Lord tells Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Why? Look at verse 4. That I may 
test them. That I may test them. In what way is he testing them? He's testing them whether they, verse 4, whether they will walk in my law or not. You see, the Lord is giving them bread. But he's giving them bread not just so that they can eat. They're giving, he's giving them bread so that they can learn to trust him. How? Daily. You see, the very DNA of this test, the, the way the Lord is designing this test, this giving them of bread, is in such a way that it's not easy. Let me go out, get a month's worth, come back, and then I can live on this month's worth of bread all by myself. Be very sufficient in doing no. The Lord is designing His provision in such a way that they will daily, it says. Notice how clear it is in our passage here in verse 4. That they gather a day's portion. How? Every day. Why? That He may test them. So that He may test them to see if they're going to walk or live or constantly come back to Him regularly and obey His law or if they will not do that. You see... This is the provision, this is the design of the provision. Could it be that the thing you're murmuring about, the thing you're complaining about, the thing you're, you're upset about and grumbling about in your own life, could it be by God's divine providence and wisdom, the very thing that's keeping you connected to the Lord more than you ever would be if you didn't have this lack, this perceived lack that you have in your life? The Lord here is teaching his people to come back to him. To regularly depend on Him. He's doing more than just wanting to feed them or give them bread. It's never about the bread. It's never about just them filling their stomachs. We're going to find this out as we look in John 6 as Jesus speaks to them about the bread that filled their stomachs. It was about them trusting the Lord. He goes on in verse 5 and he says there's one exception to this daily portion that they're to be gathering. And it is, on verse 5, on the sixth day... When they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And so on the sixth day, they're to gather twice as much so that on the Sabbath, they're not to be going out and gathering. Now, next Lord's Day, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 36, which is the rest of chapter 16. And we're going to be going into more detail about this sixth day and the Sabbath and how this was working out and how the Lord was working this out. Isn't it interesting, however, don't you think? that this command was obviously something that they knew about. And we're in chapter 16, not in chapter 20. In other words, they, they have not gotten to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were laid forth and the Fourth Commandment, which is honored the Lord's Day, is spoken of. So how did they know about this law? Well, the resting on the Sabbath was an institution of creation. It was something they would have known because of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, not because of Exodus 20. It was a creation ordinance, a creation institution. They would have known that this was something they were to be doing. We're going to go into detail about that next Lord's Day, Lord willing, as we look at the end of chapter 16. The question is, however, in our passage here, is will they be faithful to walk with the Lord? How? Daily. Daily. The Lord providentially establishes our lives so that we are regularly in need of coming back to Him. Daily, hourly, regularly coming back to the Lord. This is how God wants us to be as His people. This is how Jesus commanded His disciples to pray. Didn't the Lord say in the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. 
our daily bread, coming regularly and regularly to the Lord. We're so bent, however, on our independence. We are hardwired, brothers and sisters, to want to take care of ourselves, to want to be able to to gather it up and then be, be confident and able to care for ourselves and those who are around us. And yet the Lord says, brothers and sisters, you are not sufficient. You, you are not made, you are not created to, to come to church on Sunday and get the Word of God and prayer and these other things and then live on that throughout the entire week. Never to think about the Lord or come to Him or, or regularly depend on Him again. No, we're, we're made to daily come to the Lord and daily ask of Him of our particular needs. We want so often to be able to care for ourselves and provide for ourselves and our loved ones. Brothers and sisters, this passage tells us that the Lord not only is telling us this morning that we can't live that way, but that you don't have to. Isn't that a blessing? It's not, that you, it's not just that you can't live that way, but that you don't have to. The Lord says that when you come to me daily, guess what he's going to have? He's going to have manna prepared. He's going to regularly, daily remind you that he is a good God that wants to open his hand and satisfy your soul. Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. You know why that that verse is so precious to me? Because before I realized that I needed to be daily born up, the Lord promised me that he would do it because before I even knew it, I needed it. And brothers and sisters, you need to be daily born up by the Lord. And he says here, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up, who is our salvation. May the Lord bear you up. How? Daily, regularly. It's the Lord's testing. The Lord was testing them. And notice that the testing was unique to the fact that they were to regularly and daily come before the Lord. And that's really the, the, the heart of the test. It wasn't just that they, would, um, that they would go and get food. But that they would every day go and get just what they need for the day. Knowing that tomorrow the Lord's going to have to take care of me tomorrow. Or I'm not going to live tomorrow. Today the Lord's got to take care of me. And I'm going to gather what he has told me to gather. And that's the essence of this testing that the Lord is giving to his people. So first, the people's grumbling. Notice that this grumbling was not an issue of their circumstances, but their heart. And then next, I want you to notice, I wanted you to notice this Lord's testing. And the testing had more to do with the fact that it was this daily provision. And the Lord wanted them to constantly be coming to him. It had, nothing, it had really very little to do with the food itself. And then finally, I want you to notice these last two portions of our text. Verses 6 through 12 is the first section. These are a little larger. So I want us to notice these as they begin to play out the, the drama that's taking place in our passage. Verses 6 through 12, I want us to notice the Lord's appearing. The Lord's appearing. Not only was the Lord promising his provision, but brothers and sisters, in his mercy and grace, he was also promising his presence. So notice in verse 6 where it says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel. So we have Moses and Aaron now speaking to all the people of Israel, and they're saying two things basically to the people of Israel. They're saying, first, at evening 
you shall know that the Lord who brought you out, that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. That's the first thing that Moses and Aaron is, is saying to the people. They're saying that at evening, you're going you're gonna to know, you're going to acknowledge, you're going to realize and affirm that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he's reminding them of this constantly in the book of Exodus. Think of the Ten Commandments. In the beginning of chapter 20, at the very beginning of chapter 20, right before the Ten Commandments are being stated, the first truth is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's constantly stating that he has authority over them. He has authority over us because he's the one who's delivered us. He's the one who's brought us out. And so first and foremost, Moses and Aaron are saying, At evening you will know that it is the Lord who's brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then secondly, in verse 7, you're going to see that Moses and Aaron say to the people of God, that not only will you know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, but, in verse 7, in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. You shall see the glory of the Lord. Now, the Lord is going to display His glory to this people. And what's amazing here is this, is that He's doing this not because of their perfection, not because they've had such a, you know, you've gone, you've gone a good long while and you've obeyed my word and you've, you've, you've taken care of things and you've, you've done what I've asked you to do and you've been faithful all along the way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come near you and I'm going to be in your presence. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 7 where it says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. And I'm going to continue to read verses 7 through let's say 12, and I want, to note, I want you to notice something. You may want to underline it in your Bible. The Lord says you will see the glory of the Lord. Why? Because, because he has heard your grumbling, your grumbling against the Lord. For what, is, what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you the evening meat and to eat and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9, then, the, then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near because before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Drop down to verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the people. In other words, the Lord is showing his presence to his people. In the midst of a portion of text that has over and over again, the reason I'm showing you my presence is because of your grumbling. What's the connection? It doesn't seem to connect, does it? God's presence, our grumbling. God's presence and our grumbling. We have these two things. How do we put them together? Let's look through the passages together. Look at the end of verse 7. Verse 7 we see, first and foremost, that this, the Lord's going to show them his glory and he's going to make himself known as the one who delivered them out of the land of Egypt. Because they need to understand that it wasn't Moses and Aaron, but it was the Lord that did it. In the verse 7, Moses and Aaron say this, For what are we? What are we that you grumble against us? This is Moses and Aaron saying this to the people of God. What are we that you're grumbling against us? They're saying, we're not the ones that put you here. We're here in the middle of this too. We're with you in this. What are we that you grumble to us? In other words, they're aiming and accusing Moses and Aaron 
for this difficult providence that's in their life, Moses and Aaron is saying, what are we that you're grumbling to us? Verse 8. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you, says, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full. Why? Because the Lord has heard your grumbling and that you grumble against him. Against him. Do you see that? You're grumbling against the Lord. What are we? The question comes again. And then finally in verse 8, the point is, is that the, your grumbling, brothers and sisters, is not against Moses and Aaron, he's saying. It's against the Lord. It's almost as if the Lord knows that when we begin complaining and murmuring and grumbling at the providences that are in our lives, do we turn to God and say, Lord, it's your fault? No. We turn to the loved ones that are around us, the people that care for us, the people that are, that, that are trying to do their lives with you. We turn to our circumstances and our bosses and, our, and all the things that are around us, and we begin pointing the finger at all these other things and say, you know what, it is your fault that this is happening. When that happens, you need to ask this question, what are they? They're not the ones that put you in this situation, in this circumstance. They're not the ones that have you around these people that you're complaining and mumbling and grumbling about. I'm sure it's their fault, right? No, it's not. It's not. The Lord put you with those people. The Lord gave you those children. The Lord placed you in that family with crazy in-laws. The Lord has put you in that job and in that neighborhood and in those surroundings. Here, Moses and Aaron are saying basically this. When we begin to grumble and complain, we begin grumbling and complaining about the people and things that are around us. And Moses and Aaron are saying this, that when we're grumbling and complaining, we're not grumbling and complaining, and we shouldn't grumble and complain against them and our surroundings, but it is the Lord who's put you here. So what's the connection between the Lord showing himself, his glory, and the grumbling? First is that when the Lord shows himself in his glory, he's saying, he's confirming in our lives, when his glory shows up in our circumstances and in our situations, it is then that we say, wow, that was the Lord. <laughs> that wasn't, that, that hard, difficult time wasn't because of that other person. It was the Lord doing that. And now I can look back and say, wow, I see now how the Lord was using this to do something amazing in my life that I never would have done or planned or put together in my own heart. Your grumbling is not against us or anyone that, may, that you may want to accuse during your difficult life circumstance. Brothers and sisters, your grumbling is against the Lord. It is against the Lord. Let me make a, a real sharp, fine point on this. And it's actually uh, uh, bridges um, that I read about this. And I just thought it was, it just really convicted me concerning grumbling. Even when we complain about how hot our day is. You know, it's 105 degrees outside and it's hot. Or we complain about it raining on a day that we didn't want it to rain. Or we complain about it being too cold. Um, all of that's complaining against the providence that God has given to us. And we're not complaining against the weatherman. We're complaining against the Lord. Let's see our grumbling for what it is. It's against the Lord. Notice as well in verses 9 through 10. Then Moses said to Aaron, 
So now Moses is speaking to Aaron. So the Lord was speaking, or Moses was speaking to all the people in verses, um, in verse 8. And now Moses turns and begins speaking to Aaron, and he tells Aaron to say something to the congregation. Notice, notice what it says in verses 9 and 10. Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord. And so now Aaron is supposed to be calling all the congregation to come near before the Lord. Why? Because the Lord has heard their grumbling. And so in verse 10 it says that as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, the people obeyed. The people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, this place that was barren, the place that was the reason why of their, for their, the cause for their, their very um, hunger. They looked to the wilderness, toward the wilderness, and behold, let the weight of the end of verse 10 land on you. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. Aaron is calling God's people to come near. And when they came near, the Lord appeared to him in his grace. And so my plea with you this morning, brothers and sisters, if you're discontent, complaining, murmuring, not happy with where the Lord has you or what the Lord's doing around you, if you're grumbling like I did all week this week, I hate it when the Lord takes the passage I'm supposed to be preaching and he says, look, I'm going to put a microscope or a, a magnifying glass on your life and show how you are nowhere near what the passage is teaching. If you're complaining and murmuring and grumbling, I want to call you to draw near to the Lord. I want to, I want to call you to come near before the Lord and pray and seek his face and ask him to draw close to you and convince you of his satisfying presence, which is far more satisfying, far more enduring, far more precious than the perceived lack that you think is causing your emptiness. Do you see what the Lord's doing here? He's showing them not only that, okay, you don't have food and you think that's the reason for everything going bad, but the real, the real lack in your life is that you're not, you're not settling in daily and regularly depending on me. That was their problem. You see, we think our lack is food and clothes and money and relationships. We think that's the things that's causing all the emptiness. And brothers and sisters, the Word of God says over and over and over again that all of those things just continue our emptiness. They continue to feed our barren hearts. And they continue to become more and more dry and empty. It's like, it's like drinking ash when we try to satisfy our souls with all these things that we assume that we need. And if we only had, then everything else would be great. And the Lord is saying all along, come near to me. Look to me. And I will water your soul and satisfy you as you've never been before. You and I know this is true. Why? Because we've pragmatic, we, we are so practical, it's not even funny. You've tried to rest all of your hope and joy in the things of this world, and it's left you empty. Come to Christ. Come and draw near to Him. 
Come near to the Lord. Look to him, brothers and sisters, and he will he will satisfy you. But it's not one of those things where you come to him this afternoon and he'll fill your tank and then you've got it for another couple of months. Every day, come to the Lord for this provision. Come to the Lord with this provision. Come that he may provide and water your soul. Take the opportunity when you come before the Lord in the morning not to just read your chapter, pray a little bit, and move on. But regularly, when you when you take the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to continue to meditate on your word until you just simply feed me. You stir my heart. The Lord alone can, can eradicate our emptiness. The reason I know that is because there's thousands of verses that say that, but the one that I quote to my own heart often is this, you, O Lord, make known to me the path of life in your presence and nowhere else is there fullness of joy, Psalm sixteen eleven. And at your right hand and nowhere else are there pleasures forevermore, Psalm sixteen eleven. It is only in him and in his presence is there fullness of joy. Only in him and at his right hand are there pleasures forevermore. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He's saying, I will satisfy you if you come to me. Now let me make a twist on this real quick. Moms and dads, your children know what thrills your heart. They know. Because of the way you act, and the way you make much of it, and the way you enjoy it, and you, like me, I'm a dad. I am, I am constantly letting my children see things that thrill my heart that aren't the Lord. They're, they're good things. They're, 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 they're enjoyments that, that are here in the world that we can enjoy. But yet, they see me thrilled about these things. But my point is this, moms and dads, is that your children need to know that though there are a lot of things that you enjoy in this life and in this world, your wife, your children, the running water, air conditioning, we enjoy things, right? But there's one thing that ravishes our soul, and that is Christ. That will not happen, brothers and sisters, unless you daily come to the Lord and say, Lord, my soul is barren, empty, because I've tried to fill it with all this other stuff that never was supposed to do it. Lord, water my soul, would you please do it? How in the, I mean, how in the world would the Lord deny this prayer? Father, by the power of your almighty spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, will you give me a heart that's thrilled in the personal work of Jesus Christ? Can, can, would the Lord turn away from that request? He would not. So my, my, my urgent plea to you, brothers and sisters, is to pray that the Lord will do Psalm 1611 in your life. Make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That the Lord will help you see that in, believing in him, you shall never hunger and you will never thirst. As we come into the presence of the Lord, what does grumbling do? It begins to flee. It begins to run off. It begins to go away. That's what 
the Lord is doing here by connecting him, showing his glory and his presence to his people. In the midst of their grumbling, because he knows that a, a, a glimpse of the glory of the Lord will eliminate grumbling. When you and I grumbled this week, the Lord and the treasure that he is in our life was far from us. It wasn't there. Because when the Lord and his glory begins to press on us, grumbling flees. Verses 11 through 12, I want you to notice. And the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, now the Lord is speaking. Moses was saying to Aaron, and Aaron spoke to the people. But here in verse verse 11, it says the Lord now is speaking to Moses. And what does the Lord tell Moses? I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Isn't it interesting that look up with me, if you will, at verse 3. At verse 3, it was when they were grumbling. And it said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots, there's the meat, and ate bread, how? To the full. And here the Lord's saying to Moses, what is the Lord going to do? At twilight, he's going to give them meat to eat. And in the morning, he's going to give them bread. How? To be filled with, to the full. The Lord says, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to exceed all of the exaggerated um, 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 gifts that you thought you had in Egypt. I'm going to exceed all of those here in the middle of the wilderness where there's no place to get bread or food. And the Lord says, watch me provide. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. In other words, the Lord says this, I'm going to provide them food in such a way that I'm going to prove myself to be their God and a God who is worthy and faithful to take care of them. In other words, he's saying in verse 12, then they shall know that I am the Lord your God. That, I, that I, He's going to prove himself to be their God. In our time of discontent and sorrow, in our time of perceived lack, we may turn to all sorts of remedies and ways to cope and manage with our sorrow and our assumed lack. However, there is only one faithful and sure way to drive away discontent and sorrow and grumbling from our hearts. To remove grumbling and complaining, look to Christ. And see Him. In Him and in Him alone can we be satisfied. He alone is the satisfying glory of the Lord. Where it is displayed and where it is revealed. In Christ alone will our soul be satisfied. Now, I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to say that, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that. That's, that's, that's true. I, I grant that. But How? How do I set my heart to glory in Jesus Christ? I mean, I, I can't do it. There's nothing in me to stir up to make it happen. How do, it has to come from the outside, brothers and sisters. John Owen says it this way. If the, if the love of the Father can't do it or won't do it, then you're doomed. It's not that we first loved Him, but what? 
He loved us. Here's what I want you to meditate on. Matthew 3.17. Matthew 3.17 says something astounding. Jesus is being baptized. He comes up out of the water. And the heavens speak. The Father speaks from heaven. And it says in Matthew 3.17, the Father says this, And behold, a voice from heaven said, that's, that's important, a voice from heaven is speaking as Jesus is coming out of the water of his baptism. What is it that the Father says? The Father says this, listen, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Father here is saying that his Son, he loves with perfect, holy, absolute endearment. The Lord, the Father is, is ravished with the Son because the Son reflects the glory of the Father. And so the Father is, is stunned, is, is, is amazed. It says he is well pleased when he, when he sees and knows of the Son. If the perfect Holy Father in all of His glory and eternal and infinite wisdom and perfect in all of His ways and all of His judgments, if this Father says that in the Son He is well, well pleased, then when we are not enthralled with the Son, Jesus Christ, ravished by His love toward us, and well pleased in his perfect obedience and sacrifice, then the problem, brothers and sisters, isn't with our object of affection. The problem, excuse me, the problem isn't our, isn't the Father's object of affection, it is our object of affection. The point here is this, is that if the Father so treasures Christ... Why don't we? We should. The Father doesn't do anything that's sinful. He perfectly and absolutely treasures and is enthralled in who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. So shouldn't we? My point is this. I want to get here. Hopefully this is helpful practically. If we begin meditating and thinking upon the passages in our Bible that talk about how the Father loves the Son and begin asking that the Father will help us by His Spirit love the Son like He does? Why would He not answer that that request? How, How can that be anything but a holy and wonderful and glorious request that the Lord will allow us to enjoy and be well pleased in Christ as He is? My answer to the practical question of how do we become more and more pleased with Jesus Christ is that we ask the Father for it. And it's not just today. And it's not just tomorrow. But it is, it is a regular, daily coming to the Father and saying, Lord, rain your manna down again today. Allow your manna to come today. Allow this provision to love and to enjoy and to be well pleased in Jesus Christ. Lord, will you do that for me today? For in Jesus Christ, the I am is 
the Lord our God, who is the bread of life that's come from heaven. Running out of time. Point number four, the people's gathering. And what I mean by that isn't the people themselves as persons gathering, but the people are actually gathering the bread. Let's work through this real quickly. Verses 13 through 21. In the evening, quail came up. The Lord here is providing for his people. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? And that question is actually the Hebrew word manna. That, that's, that's when manna is the word. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, because Moses had to be the one that told him what it was, it is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. Let's not over-spiritualize this. This is the point of this portion of the text. And it is this. The provision that the Lord commanded for the people was something that they would have never asked for because they didn't know what it was. They would have never asked for manna. They were asking for the Lord to fill them, to take care of them. What does the Lord give them? The Lord gives them something that when they see it, they say, what is this? Moses is the one that says, this is being given to you by God. Could it be that what the Lord is desiring to give you isn't what you are asking for, but far better? It's something that God wants to give you that you have in your wildest dreams could never pray. When you see it, when the Lord does provide it for you, you may even say, what is this? And the Lord says, this is what I provided for you. This is my provision for you. Verses 16 through 18, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall eat, each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. In other words, according to the family, it's the amount of food that they will get. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. It says in verse 18, But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Do you know how that feels, Mike Smith? When you gather much, you don't have anything left over? I figured you'd, you'd know how that works. Fill the cupboard and end of the week it's already gone. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. It goes on, and it says uh, in verse 18, or excuse me, verse 19, And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it until the morning. The point is this, brothers and sisters, and that is that in the, what I call the economy of the world, the economy of the world says this. There's a big pile out there with all the material goods in it, and it is our responsibility as people, to get as much of that slice of that pie as we possibly can because everybody's fighting for it, and we need to get as much as we can. That's the economy of the world. There's a big pie. Our responsibility is to get as much of it as we can. The economy of the kingdom doesn't work that way. The economy of the kingdom works this way. The Lord has it all, and he'll give to us what we need. That's the economy of the kingdom. Stop living your life hardwired according to the economy of the world. And I need the biggest wedge of that pie as I can get. That, that's the world saying that. The kingdom says the Lord opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Psalm 145, 16. So trust that the Lord will give you what you need, not a bigger portion. 
It's exactly what, how Paul uses the passage in 1 Corinthians 8 as he speaks to them. His congregation is giving out of their poverty. And the Lord says he's gonna, the Lord will continue to provide for you. Why? He uses verses 18 here in Exodus 16 for that reason. Finally, in verses 19 through 21, notice with me. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. And they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And so the people of God, you know what they didn't do? They didn't walk with the Lord. They began hoarding the manna, thinking to themselves, I'm going to get a few extra days of manna in case the Lord doesn't show up tomorrow. I can take care of myself. That sounds like really good human thinking. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when they tried to gather up extra, it bred worms and stank. There was consequences to their not trusting the Lord in his daily provisions. And then finally it says, morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted or went away. In other words, the Lord was giving them exactly what they needed each and every day. As we approach the table this morning, we're reminded that Jesus Christ himself said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And as we come to the table this morning, it's not by coincidence that we're taking and eating of bread and drinking of this cup. This bread is a reminder that only through what Christ has done and only through us coming to Christ regularly will we be a people that are sustained and kept. The Lord wants us to come this morning to this table as people who are hungry, not hungry for the things of this world, not hungry just for the bread, but hungry to be satisfied in Jesus. For this bread and this cup represents what Christ did on the cross. He went there. And by faith we can trust that his body was broken and his blood was spilt. That we might be a people who are provided for, who are cared for, as we daily come to him for our provisions. And so this morning I want you to notice, if you will, in your worship journal on page 3. There. It has a few things there that you can read over and meditate on as you prepare your heart for the coming to the Lord's table. And I'm asked Jason, if he would, at this time to come. And if he would, pray that the Lord will uh, pray for the offering that's going to be taken up, as well um, for uh, Thanksgiving that the Lord will provide for us as we come to the table together. So, Jason, if you would, come, please. <laughs> 